Welcome to Leadership Revealed, where John Paul shares his no-nonsense approach to all things leadership and scaling businesses. John interviews some of the most successful people in their industries to see what it takes to become a great leader. Be prepared for the truth about leadership and business. Please welcome your host, serial entrepreneur and top-selling author, John Paul. Hi everyone, John Paul here, and welcome to the very, very first edition of Leadership Revealed. I'm super excited and happy to be talking to you today and bring my podcast to the masses, so to speak, because leadership is a huge, huge passion of mine. And I do believe that every single person on the planet can improve their leadership skills. So what can you expect from me and this podcast? Well, as I said, I think everybody can improve their leadership skills. Everybody needs to lead in some aspect of their life whether it be for your family, whether it be your business, social life, even your circle of friends. And I think if we can talk openly about leadership, explore what leadership is and learn from it, then I think we can become better in our own life and in our own circle of friends and business, etc. So what am I going to be talking about today? Well, I think the first thing we need to talk about is define what leadership is. Now, no doubt that will be many things to many people. And when I was researching for this podcast and for my um, sort of academic life, if you like, because I'm very interested in it, I've taken on a couple of degrees, um, I must have found probably about 40 or 50 various definitions of what leadership is. So I basically amalgamated, read read a lot, digested it, amalgamated quite a bit, and I've come up with my own, and it was actually something I put in uh, my dissertation. And... My definition of it, and again, this is my definition, you may agree, you may disagree, it'd be really good if I could uh, get some feedback on it, is leadership is all about turning vision into reality using influence to create followers. I'll repeat it once more. It's turning vision into reality using influence to create followers. So if we break that down, what is your vision? So everybody or most people will have um, an idea, they'll have a goal, they'll have an end game, whatever that is. So if we're looking at it from a business perspective, a vision may be you want to take your business from where it is now to the market leader. It could be in a sporting terms, you want to be playing, you're playing for the second team or a third team, you want to play for somebody in the first division, premiership, or you want to have a, a fight for a championship, whatever it is. That is your vision. When you turn it into reality, you achieve it. So you are actually making your vision happen. It's becoming a reality now. Now, if anybody has a vision and they they achieve it or they turn it into reality, that's pretty impressive. Anybody who used to play for a third division, a second division team, and all of a sudden they're getting scouted by a first division or a, or a premiership team, that's pretty impressive. It's the same with a business. If somebody acquires a business or you take over a business or you start a business and then within four, five, six years, you are the market leader or you are a disruptor in the market, you've got a product that's far outselling your competitors, then again, people around you will be impressed by that. And the more people are impressed by that, and the more people look up to you, and they put you on this pedestal, then the more they are likely to um, support you um, and sort of idolize you from afar. The second part of that quote, so it was turning vision into reality using influence to create followers. We'll talk about the influence aspect of it. Now, Influence is not a dirty word. A lot of people, especially in the the training and the training space, seem to think that influence may be 
um, have some connotations, ne negative connotations. And in my mind, that's not the case. Again, it is. It will be to many. It will be many different things to many different people. But in my mind, if you can influence somebody in a positive way, then that only positive things can happen from that. So, what influence is? You are having an effect on the behaviour of someone. Now, again, it can be a negative, but in my mind, it's more of a positive um, effect. So, we influence people positively to make them become followers, i.e., someone who supports. Um, or looks up to me or um, thinks what I'm doing is really great and they want to get involved or the, the sort of raving fans um, type situation. So really, we're coming up with an idea, a goal or an end game. We're turning it into reality because we're making it happen. We're using influence um, and we're creating followers. Now, influence could be, we could create influence on many things. So if you look at Robert Cialdini's uh, book, which is called Influence, he talks about um, from authority, so you can you can influence people just because you've done very very well in your your industry and you're standing on a pedestal and you're you're talking to people and people look up to you because of who you are and what you've done. It could also be because of reciprocity. I you know you've done something for them, so they feel obliged to do it from you. So there are many influence techniques, all positive, all um, getting the desired effect, um, and you know that can create the followers to make you become a better leader. So there are some really good sayings out there about how leaders create other leaders. Um, and yes, I do agree. But I do also think that some people aren't or do not want to become leaders. So when it, when the saying is leaders create other leaders, I agree. Um, and I think there's a, there's a really good book out there called uh, Five Levels of Leadership by John Maxwell, who's a big, big American guru over there on, on leadership. And he talks about the five levels of leadership. And one of the, the levels is leaders create other leaders effectively and yes I agree with that but there's a there's a lot of people and we all know them we all know, all know people who come to work at night from nine till five switch off at one minute past five just scrape in on a morning they don't want to become other leaders that doesn't mean for any um, second that they can't become better at what they're doing and they can't improve their leadership skills but it certainly doesn't mean that they want to be the next Bill Gates or Warren Buffett or want to be the next MD of your, your company. Some people are just happy muddling along, meandering along, go from day to day. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And I think we have to recognise that. But there's one other thing I want to talk about in this very, very first podcast. Um, and that is, in my mind, what is the biggest thing that allows us to become better leaders? So we can all talk about calmness, communication, all that sort of stuff. And I agree that's incredibly important. Um, but there's one thing that if you look across all leaders, um, they've all got it. They might not know they have it, but they all have it in bucketfuls. And that is emotional intelligence. It also gets called EQ. Um, now, some of you may have heard of it. Some of you might not have. It's becoming um, quite a bit of a buzzword at the moment, especially in the corporate arena. But what emotional intelligence is, it was, it, it's been going around since about the 1990s, early 90s. And it was by a guy called uh, John Mayer, who I believe was at the University of Hampshire in America, and uh, Peter Salovey, or Salavoy, who was uh, at Yale University as well. So they came up with this thing, emotional intelligence. It was then taken in 1995 by a chap called Daniel Goldman, who was really thought of uh, in the world circles as the, the grandfather or the real originator of emotional intelligence, and he took it to the next level. And he was a psychiatrist. Um, he wrote a book 
by the same name, Emotional Intelligence. I've read it. It's an absolute fantastic book. And that was in the New York Times bestseller for, I think, about one and a half years. And I think it's been rare. It's been bought about, sold about five million copies. Now, in it, he talks about the five pillars or the five things that, that appear in emotional intelligence. Now, if you can master these five pillars, then you will have a high or higher level of emotional intelligence. Now, what that also means is that by having those higher levels of emotional intelligence, you will consequently become a better leader. And as I said at the beginning of the podcast, we can all become a better leader. So if you are um, an estate agent, which is my background, or a letting agent, which is one one of my businesses, then I want to become a better leader in that business. It stands to reason, if I can, going back to that definition, um, turn vision into reality using influence to create followers, I am going to have a better business. People are going to follow me. They're going to be inspired by me. They're going to be motivated by me to achieve more and to do more. Now then, if I've got people who are motivated, to, to self-motivated, then what does that mean for me as a business owner? I don't have to be there. I can put a, some, another leader, remember, leaders create leaders, into the business I can take a step back and then I've got self-motivated staff who want to achieve more, they want to build the business up, they want to drive it forward. And again, I can take a step back and I have a true business. And my definition of a business is something that you can leave for three months, go away on a beach somewhere, think of Barbados or a a little desert island. You're not allowed to take your phone. You're not allowed to use the, the, the one PC that's on the island. You're not allowed to check your emails, no carry a pigeon dropping messages off or anything like that. Come back after a month, uh, three months, and if your business is running perfectly well, if not better, then you have got a well-systemized business. If you come back and the bills haven't been paid, creditors are at your door, um, people have left, they're not turning up, um, you've got a nightmare, then you haven't got a true business. You've literally just got a job. You're self-employed. And there's nothing wrong with that, but you do need to recognize where you are and you need to recognize where you are to be able to achieve where you want to get to. So example, if you're self-employed and you want to become have a business, you need to recognize where you are. And leadership is a huge, huge part of that because if you're in the business as a leader, then you're not then you're self-employed. You haven't got a business, you're just purely self-employed. So getting back to these five pillars. The first one is self-awareness. So good, good leaders have strong amounts of self-awareness. Now, what is that? Effectively, self-awareness is just knowing what your strengths and weaknesses are. It is knowing what you're great at, what you're bad at. So for instance, um, I'm not a great detail person. So I know that if it comes down to detail or checking over contracts, I give my solicitor or I give it to my MD to have a look at, and they will have a look at it and they will, they're far better than I am. I know one of my strengths is that I, I drive the business forward. I'm very much, right guys, follow me, I'm gonna go first. And I know, well, I've been told that inspires people and that motivates the staff um, to achieve more. And again, as we said uh, just a moment ago, if you've got a motivated and inspired workforce and, and staff, then you can achieve great things together moving forward. So I know what my strengths are, I know what my weaknesses are. Now, how do you get better at it? So it's all well and good saying, I know I'm bad at this, or I know I need to improve at that, I need to develop at this, but how do I get better at it? Well, a couple of tips. First thing is is slow down. Um, at the end of the day, just literally, literally at the end of the day, at five o'clock, six o'clock, chill out, pour yourself a glass of wine, think about what you did today, think what you did well, what you didn't do well, 
did you recognise the fact that you, you did well at it or you didn't do well and write it all down? When you're caught up in the speed of the, of the hustle and the bustle and the grind of the day, it's very, very difficult to, to sit back and appreciate what has gone on during that day. And then before you know it, it's a week, two weeks, it's three weeks later and you've forgotten about a specific part of a specific day. So slow down at the end of the day or if you want to do it in the morning to reflect on the previous day. I like doing that. I like uh, getting up early on the morning, setting my day out, but I also like to reflect because I've had a night, uh, a full night's sleep to reflect on what went well or what didn't go well yesterday. And then I'll write it all down. And if there's anything I didn't do well, like a conversation, I was a little bit um, short with somebody or I was a little bit soft, whatever it is, then I can say, right, John, next time I know I'm going to do this or next time I know I won't do that. The next pillar is all about self-regulation. So we know what we're good at, we know what we're bad at. Self-regulation is all about holding back. It's all about staying, staying in control. Now, again, when some situations can arise, you can jump the gun, you become a little bit hot-headed about something, and I get it. We've all been there. It's always been a situation where a staff member or one of your kids or you know, if, if you're like me, you're a footy dad and you watch your son play football and one of the dads is, is shouting stuff, you might get a little bit agitated and you might, um, you know, jump the gun a little bit. You might not think about something. You might just blurt something out. And then you're thinking, oh, God, I wish I never said that or I wish I never did this. That's fine. That's normal. But if you have got self-regulation, then you can see and you can recognise when those moments are about to occur. You can feel the hairs at the back of your, your, back of your neck and, and just like sort of tingling a little bit, a bit of a spidey sense. And then you can sort of say, right, John, take that step back. I'm not going to get agitated. I'm not going to um, sort of just start shouting or raving or whatever it is. I'm going to take a step back. I'm going to regulate myself and I'm going to treat this situation completely different. What I suggest you do is you hold yourself accountable to your values in those situations. So you'll all have values that are true to you and your values are very personal um, your values are, are yours and yours alone and your values are something which I'm a big sort of uh, supporter of and I think we should all live our lives by our own values. But if you've defined your values and you know what they are, not just what you think they are or in your head you're thinking, I think my value should be this because I think that's what's expected of me. Make sure you've sat down and you've done exercises on what your values truly are. We did this in our business and we had an amazing positive effect in, in a couple of, couple of weeks um, following that. Now, our values in our business are be better. We are looking to have better staff. We're looking to have um, better customer service. We're looking to be a better company, be a better you. So everything that we want to do is about progression. It's about moving forward. It's about improvement. It's about becoming the best that we can be. So again, if I'm holding myself to my values, um, if I'm going to the gym or if I'm going into a meeting or I'm doing something with a family. Um, and for me, it's all about trying to be better. So if I'm trying to, if I'm getting a bit agitated or, you know, I'm, I'm seeing some things that um, maybe I wouldn't normally say, then I've got to sort of think back to my values of being better and I've got to hold myself true to those values. So I'm in the gym. I've done a couple of sets. I can't be bothered. I'm aching. I'm tired. I want to go home. We've all been there. If I can actually think back to my values of be better, you know, I can, I can have a, have a, um, a conversation with myself and sort of say, well, John, if you go home now, are you being better? Are you holding yourself true to your values? And of course I won't be because I'll be trying to slack out, trying to do three sets and then 
shoot off home. That's not being true to my values. Third pillar is all about motivation. Now, how do you motivate yourself? How, how are some people self-motivators? How do some people get up at six o'clock and go to the gym when others can't even get out of bed to go to work at nine o'clock, let alone six o'clock? So the answer for me is very simple, and I'm going to talk about what motivates people in, a, in a, one of the next uh, following podcasts, and that's a really interesting one. That's a, that's a great one. And what I'll do in that is I'll, I'll talk about the sort of behavioural theorists, you know, Maslow, Aldefer, Hertzberg, um, Adam's equity theory, all the top guys in the world, behavioural and motivational experts and theorists, and from a sci- uh, scientific, neurological, behavioural point of view, what do they say motivate staff. But in the main, it's effectively having goals, having targets, having something to aim towards. So if you get up to date and you've got nothing to aim towards, then how the hell can that motivate you? How can that get you fired up in the morning, get you where you want to be next week, next month, next year? How can that take you towards your vision? Your vision is all well and good about being the number one estate agent, the number one gym, the number one printer company, the number one car salesman, whatever your vision is, that's great, but it's just it's just a sentence. To be the number one in the world, to be the number one in my area, fantastic. So then you've got to break it down retrospectively. You've got to reverse engineer it. How do I become number one? Well, at the minute, I'm number 20. So how do I get to number 18, 15, 13, 10, 8, 5, 2? How do I get to number one? You've got to set little incremental goals, little incremental targets, Marginal gains, those little on a day-to-day basis, keep doing part of the plan. Whatever your plan, keep doing it, aim towards your goals. And believe it or not, that is what motivates people. So when I was banging into my sport and I wanted to bench press, double my bench press or whatever it is, I didn't want to go from a you know from 80 to 160 or 100 to 200. I wanted to go from 80 to 82 and a half. I wanted to go from 100 to 101, 102, 105, 110. So it's those little marginal gains that motivate people. And that what helps that is, is having a very, very clear vision, incredibly clear targets. And again, that's why in business, we, in the beginning of December, we set out all our targets and goals and vision for the following year. We don't do it at the beginning of January because it's too late by then, in my opinion. It's, it's not as late as February, March and April, etc. Of course it's not. But we do it in, in December so we can get fired up, have a really, really good break over Christmas and New Year and come back absolutely raring to go. We've probably thought over the break a little bit about how we're going to achieve our targets and how we're going to work towards our goals. But the point is we've got a little breakdown of goals. And again, if I was doing doing a competition um, or playing a game of rugby or it was pre-season or it was just a season finished, I might have a week off. But I knew I had to get my weight to this. I had to get my speed to this. I had to get my physique to this. And I, and I set the long-term goals from so three months or six months. I would be this quick, this strong, look like this. And what do I have to do? Reverse it to, to now in order to get a little bit better for the next week, a little bit better the week after, the week after, the week after, the week after, the week after. And then in 15 weeks, 20 weeks, I would have achieved my goal. So motivation is a pillar of great leadership. And if you look at the great leaders, they are the ones who, who, who have bundles and bundles and they just ooze motivation um, they get up early in the morning they, they might finish early but when they do work they work intense they work very very short sharp bursts of work so I know some um, leaders who will not have a meeting or will not take a meeting longer than an hour 
And the, the reason that they say they won't go um, for a meeting longer than an hour is because they say my concentration levels reduce. I get tired. I miss things. I get sloppy. Negotiations aren't as strong. So what I do is we'll do short, short bursts. So there'll be no, how was the weekend? Did you watch the football? Did you see this on the telly? What's new on Netflix? Or there's, there's none of that. It's a case of, right, gentlemen, down to basics. Boom, boom, boom. Um, and then after about an hour, if the deal's not done, they'll say, right, let's break. Go get uh, a bit of a rest, a bit of a break, um, and then come back raring to go to take with the meeting where it, where it left off. So motivation is key to leadership, and you have to be motivated. If you are one of those people, and again, there's nothing wrong with this, that you struggle to get up on the morning and um, weekends, you just want to lie in bed all day. And there's, there's a lot of people, no doubt some of you will be listening now exactly like that. You need to work on that, whether that's lack of exercise, lack of diet, um, you can't see the wood for the trees in terms of you haven't broken down your goals or your targets from your big vision. Whatever it is, that needs addressing because you will not find a good leader in any of their fields across any industry who doesn't have a vision and doesn't have it broken down further into goals or further into targets. So that's very, very important. Um, well, another one of the pillars, the fourth one, is empathy. So Empathy is absolutely critical to business. And what it is, is uh, it's just looking in another person's perspective, from another person's perspective. It's putting yourself in other people's shoes. So one of the aspects of being a good leader is the, having the ability to, to listen. It's, it's My old man used to say, you've got one mouth and two ears for a reason, so listen twice as much as you talk. And I absolutely believe in that. So the top leaders will not come into a conversation in any field, by the way, whether it's sport or, as I said, business or personal or family life, social, um, you know, a social group of friends. And they won't come in and try and dominate that conversation, especially if it's an exchange of information, exchange of ideas. True leaders, and if you've, if you've watched any of the documentaries or any of the um, YouTube videos with, with Elon Musk, et cetera, et cetera, they sit there and they listen and they look as though they're digesting and they're taking in all the information. And they're taking the information, they're critically analysing it, and then they're going to come back with their response. But the point is, they listen. When they listen, they're not just listening for the information, they're looking at it from that person's point of view. Now, when we talk to our managers, and I'm always listening, because they have their feet on the ground. They are the guys that are doing the do, they're doing the work on a day-to-day basis, they're selling houses, they're buying houses, they're renting houses, they're doing whatever it takes. Now, if they come to me with an idea, I would be an absolute fool not to listen. So nine times out of 10, it might not be the best idea. It might not be something we want want to implement in the business, but that's because we know the full picture. We can holistically and strategically look at the business as a whole. We can say, that's a good idea in isolation. However, we are going to be doing this next week, that the week after, that the week after. So whilst your idea was awesome, it was great, it doesn't fit in with our future plans. And of course, you can't share your, all the businesses and future plans with all the staff. But the point is, if somebody comes with an idea, you have to put yourselves in their shoes. So when people speak, don't just have your, your version of events, um, what you feel and think. Actually listen to other people. Because guess what? You do not have all the answers. As great as you are at your role, as good as you are at your job, as amazing as you are in life in general, you are not the most intelligent, you do not have the biggest, the best answers, and you don't know the most. 
So listen to other people. That doesn't mean you have to take them up in their advice. And there are surefire ways of, of gently, politely, empathetically sort of saying thanks but no thanks. But listen to other people. Start listening more, opening up more. And guess what? You might actually learn something. It's really, when I started, when I started business, I was very much gung-ho, thought I knew it all, as I think most people do when they start business. And as soon as I started opening up and, and using use my ears and listening, I started to develop much more knowledge of the business. I started to listen to people and understand more and understand people more. And when you understand people more, you grow a lot. Um, there's a real good phrase. I'm going to credit um, a friend of mine, Matt Giggs, for this, where he says, if you love property um, and you want to work with property, go be a Rick Severe. If you, if you love people and you want to work with people, be an estate agent. And I think that is critical and I think that is very key to, to my industry, certainly, and other industries that I've got businesses in as well. It's very much a people-orientated business. And if you can't understand something from somebody else's point of view, then you're not going to get far. Sure, you'll do all right. Sure, you might make a couple of quid. But once you start seeing it from so another through another pair of eyes and walking a mile in their shoes, and you've got a complete understanding of where they're coming from, then that will no doubt improve you as a business person in general. And the last pillar of uh, the five pillars of emotional intelligence is social skills. So it is it does exactly what it says on the tin. It's all about communication. It's all about what to say and when to say it. Now, there's quite a few people I know who are not the best communicators, but because they're not the best communicators, and that might be for various reasons, not, not interested at school, more interested in computer games or the football field or whatever it is, because they're not great communicators, when it comes to a, a social setting and a social experience, they sit back a bit, they're a little bit introverted. You're not going to get better by being an introvert. You're not going to get better by not applying your social skills to social situations. So if you're not a very good talker or you're not very good at using certain words um, and you don't know how to communicate with people, shutting up or being quiet, you're not going to get better. So you need to have those conversations. Um, and again, don't talk to people where you think you can outsmart them, you've got a larger vocabulary, you're more articulate. That's not going to do anything. It's, it, in fact, it might do the opposite. You don't want to be a big fish in a little pond. You want to be a little fish in a big pond and you'll get better and better and better. A great example of this is kids. So my daughter, Bella, she's three years old and she's just started going to play group. And she starts school in a, in a couple of months. We know that her vocabulary will come on amazing in the next couple of months. She's already coming back using words that we've never heard her use before. And that's in the first two or three sessions. There's probably about 10, 15 words we didn't think she knew. That's because she's applying those words to real-life situations with kids her own age. Other kids are coming back with words that, that, that they're using and she's never heard before. And when she comes back to school, in fact, we're a little bit worried, <laughs> she's going to come back with a whole new vocabulary. It's because she's she's been working, sort of living in our situation, in our environment, and we've been using the same language, same communication as you do when, when you're parents. And when she's going to go into the big, wide world of playgroups and school and stuff, She's going to be able to practice and learn more and, and take more in. So whilst we're looking forward to it as parents, we're also not because of the troubles and issues that, that might bring. But the point I was trying to make was that it's it's all about venturing into the world. It's all about getting yourself out of your comfort zone. It's being uncomfortable, or sorry, being comfortable with being uncomfortable. 
And that's the point. Get yourself out of your, your, your comfortable sitting, your setting. Go use your social skills and go talk to people that are far more articulate than you, know a lot more, um, and that will improve you again as a leader. So self-awareness is all about strengths and weaknesses. Self-regulation is all about holding back and staying in control, and you do that by being true to your values. Motivation, setting, having a clear vision, having your goals and your targets, and just on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis, aim towards that vision, achieve those goals, achieve those targets. Empathy, see their version of events through their eyes. Don't just think, I'm right, you're wrong, and that's it. Look at it, what they think, their point of view. And then the social skills. Learn to be a better communicator. You're only going to do that by talking to people or communicating with people better than you. I don't know where you you live, but it could be debating societies. It could be you've just got a couple of friends who are incredibly articulate, incredibly intelligent. Talk to them about subjects you don't know. Well, one of the things I've found is that, you know, if I want to learn something, I want to get better at something, I'm not going to just go and Google and research it. I'm going to seek out people who know more than me. Um, I'm going to talk to them about it. Again, I've only been in the estate agency game um, probably about three years now. So when I first started and I wanted to know about selling houses, yes, been a letting agent for about six, seven years now. But when we bought a couple of estate agents, um, I wanted to learn more about it. So I literally just knocked on the door of a couple of friendly, inverted commas, um, estate agents and said, right, I bought an estate agent, now what do I do? Sat down with them, YouTube, went on the forums, asked people, picked up the phone, talked to agents who have been agents for 20, 30 years, um, talked to them, understood their point of view. A lot of it I disagreed with, but a lot of it I agreed with. Learned the language, got better at it. And now we've bought you know three estate agents and we're either one or two in every single area that we are. And that's all because of learning the estate agency language, learning what works, what doesn't work, um, and just sort of implementing that into the business. And again, because we've had a vision, I've turned it into reality, and then me and my MD are creating followers using influence. So to be a great leader, you have to have a solid understanding of your emotions. So the self-awareness, regulation, motivation, empathy, and the social skills. So if you, if you want to learn more, there's a fantastic book, as I said, by Daniel Goleman um, called Emotional Intelligence. The, he wrote um, an article in the Harvard Business Review of the same name, Emotional Intelligence or Emotional Quarter. And I do believe it was, I think it was in the top 25 HBR articles of 2000, and, or, 2000 or something. Um, it's a really, really good article and I highly recommend you um, reading that and researching it. So it's been great talking to you guys from my very first episode um, and we'll definitely see you on the next uh, two, three, four, etc. So if you've got any questions, look in the show notes. It's got all my contact details and just drop me an email. But once again, thanks for listening, guys, and I'll see you on the next one. Bye.